Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the GFFN Euro Show. I'm your host, Nathan Staples, and joining me this week are French football journalist Jonathan Johnson and GFFN writers Eric Devin and Philippe Bargiel. The round of 16 has been completed this past weekend, and with just seven games left of the tournament, we're heading into the stages where dreams are made. Unless you're England, that is. But before we chat about their enthralling stage of fixtures, here is the latest news. Poland are through to the next round after beating Switzerland on penalties in the early kickoff on Friday. A first half goal from Jakub Blazikowski put the Poles in front before a contender of goal of the tournament from Jordan Shakiri pulled the Swiss level. After a goalless extra time, it was Granit Xhaka who missed the crucial penalty as Poland scored all their spot kicks to win the shootout 5-4. Wales continued their journey through the finals as they edged past Northern Ireland 1-0. An own goal from Gareth McCauley after a superb cross from Gareth Bale sealed the deal as Chris Coleman's men head into more uncharted territory in year 2016. Portugal will face Poland in the quarterfinals after they won 1-0 against Croatia after extra time. A headed goal from Ricardo Koreshme late on after Daniel Sebasic denied Cristiano Ronaldo sees the Portuguese continue their recent form in tournament football. France recovered from an early setback against Ireland to claim a 2-1 victory in Lyon. A double from Antoine Griezmann cancelled out Robbie Brady's second-minute penalty as the Irish were reduced to 10 men late on after Shane Duffy was shown a straight red card. Germany cruised into the next stages of the Euros after a comfortable 3-0 win against Slovakia. Goals from Jerome Boateng, Mario Gomez and Julian Draxler gave the world champions safe passage to the quarterfinals. Belgium fired, fired four past a plucky Hungary as Aiden Hazard showed, stole the show for his nation. Goals from Toby Alderweireld, Michi Batshuayi, Yannick Ferreira Carrasco and from Hazard himself held um, Mark Wilmot's aside set up for a quarterfinal against Wales who they lost to in qualifying for the tournament. Italy pulled off another spectacular performance as they saw off much fancied Spain for a 2-0 victory. Giorgio Chiellini put them in front just before half-time before Graziano Pelle sealed the deal in added time. And finally, Iceland pulled off the upset of the tournament as they held firm to beat England 2-1. Wayne Rooney's early penalty was quickly replied by Ragnar Sigurdsson before Colbyn Sigtorsson sealed the deal in the first half. England manager Roy Hodgson stepped down after the game, saying it was time for someone else to take the team forward. The quarterfinals now look like this. Poland will take on Portugal on Thursday. Wales are up against Belgium on Friday. Germany face Italy on Saturday. And hosts France pit their wits against Iceland on Sunday. All kickoffs are 8pm in English time. And that's for all your headlines, but remember to keep up to date with the latest on our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and at our dedicated Twitter feeds at GFFN and at GFFN Euro 2016. We start this week with France's turbulent win against Ireland on Sunday. The unfancied boys in green took the lead early on and held that advantage until the second half when two Antoine Griezmann goals sealed the deal. Philip, what changed in that second half that lifted Le Bleu to victory? Uh, just a, just a, like against Albania, Deschamps starts uh, not playing Matuidi in his uh, right full position. I mean, he did keep playing a 4-3-3, but Matuidi played on the right-hand side, Pogba on the left-hand side, so that uh, they could actually see the best of Pogba, who was uh, not too bad against Switzerland. Um, once again, when you have Matuidi not playing in, in his position, his... Um, uh, his performance uh, lacks uh, something. Saying this, Ireland defended very, very well. They opened the scoreline of every stupid um, um, foul to concede by Pogba. Saying this, there's, uh, there's a stunt that hasn't been uh, said a fact, uh, that hasn't been stated. Francis still haven't conceded a goal from open play, which I find quite amazing given that some of our defending has not been very, very good, but Anyway, that's uh, maybe for for later. Anyway, what Deschamps did, he switched from um, from uh, 4-3-3 to 4-2-3-1. Griezmann was uh, in the centre just behind Giroud. It basically changed everything. We even had Sanya pull up uh, 
a great cross for the for the opening goal. Great play by Giroud um, for Griezmann's second, and it probably should have been a bit been a bit more. Ireland were probably extremely tired. Let's uh, let's not forget that Ireland had three uh, days left uh, less than France to prepare for that game, so they were understandably knackered. And uh, all in all, I do I do think France did deserve that um, that win. Uh, that the best team uh, did win, but Ireland played uh, with their with their strengths and uh, poses a lot of problems. Jonathan, what went wrong in that first half of France? They really seemed to struggle to react to that early goal from the Irish. No, I just think it was a clumsy mistake from uh, from Pogba to start with. Uh, I didn't think that it was a particularly confident sort of opening few minutes. But uh, you know, when when you concede a penalty by making such a a silly foul, and it's not the first time that Pogba's done that while playing for France either. Uh, you know, then you you immediately have your backs against the wall. Uh, so, you know, I think afterwards uh, France did feel the pressure a bit uh, for the remainder of that first half, um, but Deschamps steadied the ship at half-time, uh, and you could see the difference uh, at the beginning of the second half. You know, they started much better, got the goal before the hour mark, which I think was crucial, uh, and then from then on, uh, you know, as as Philip said, they could have they could have and should have scored scored more and the victory should have been more comfortable in the end. Uh, but I you know, I think that for for France they were wary going into the match that Ireland were going to be up for it, they had nothing to lose, that the fans were going to create a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, you know, and considering how this really has been the, the tournament of the underdogs so far. Uh, you know, I think that they really feared that they could be on the end of uh, of an upset. So when they conceded that early penalty in Ireland, went ahead. Uh, you know, I think that they probably thought that you know this was their uh, you know worst nightmare perhaps coming true. And we've already mentioned that things changed after half time, Eric. But it was really the performance of of one man in Antoine Griezmann who really was the X factor in the end, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was someone who I had tipped before the tournament to really have. Uh, a, a breakout competition, and I, <laughs> I was start, starting to worry a little bit that I, I would be made to look foolish by him. But I think you know we had mentioned um, you know earlier in, the, in in regards to the friendlies and to the earlier group stage matches that he looked off the pace, that he was having a hard time fitting into fitting into this four three three. But I think in this this little tactical shift that, that Deschamps executed to play a four two three one with Griezmann uh, operating a central role off of. Uh, off of Giroud, I think that I think that that's really brought out the best in him. That he's he's operated in a similar role, often oftentimes at Atletico Madrid, and that this is this is getting the best out of him. That we're seeing the very best of again a player who, like I said, you know, I believe is one of the the very best in the world, but you know, didn't really look up to the standard that he he generally had displayed for his club uh, in the recent past. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the shift. Benefit of Griezmann and and that he can continue to do this. I mean, there there's I think frankly a lot to be said for this this lineup potentially going forward. Uh, Conte will be obviously missing the next match due to suspension. You know whether Deschamps comes back comes back with the four three three with Cavai at the base or opts to play four two three one from the start. I think that there's um, a lot of positives to take from this match, um, especially as you know Ireland are the type of obdurate opponent that. You know, Iceland will provide a similar style of opposition, just uh, trying to beat France by via a lot of hard work. And I think that, and that, yeah, Griezmann was spectacular. Uh, finally hitting his stride. Maybe fatigue is a little bit less of an issue, having had a week off between matches. And that this is um, there are a lot of positives to take forward, both for the player and for the team, uh, as a result of this performance. Who would be everyone's um, starting eleven against Iceland? Well, actually, starting eleven, I mean. Yeah, we're obviously going to talk about the suspensions, obviously. But uh, I mean, who, would would we would we put Griezmann in in a number ten role like he was in the second half from 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 the off, or maybe keep it as a plan B? I think I think what it depends on is uh, is is Coman. Depends on his injury because if Coman's injured, I can't see uh, there being any other option apart from Griezmann to start sort of wide on the right. I do th think that. Um, Deschamps should keep the, you know, the sort of four-two-three-one uh, uh, shape, and in an ideal world, he'd be able to start Coman and and have uh, Griezmann there behind Giroud with uh, with Payet on the left. But I think it all depends on uh, on Coman's fitness. I mean, hopefully he is fit, uh, you know, because he did make a big difference. It was a shame. It's always a shame to see the substitute substituted, uh, you know, especially when they haven't had a, a, a poor performance. Uh, so fingers crossed, it's not too uh, not too serious for Coman. Mm. 
we could put Martial on the right, but uh, he's not very accustomed to that, and and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to put yeah, Clay on the right either. Yeah, it's it's, po it's possible, but I think uh, you know, ideally, it's it's either going to be Coman or uh, or Griezmann. Anything other than that, and I think there's a danger that Iceland, you know, uh, capitalise on the fact that France are experimenting in the in the quarterfinal of a competition on uh, on home soil. I I think as well for the rest of the midfield, uh, I think Deschamps should stick with uh, you know the lineup that he had in the second half against Ireland, where you've got Matuidi on the left central side of midfield, and then you've got Pogba on that right side, but playing a little bit deeper, because I actually thought that he did pretty well when, once he filled in for Conte, made some uh, made some very good tackles, good interceptions. Yeah, yeah. And I, I believe I read a stat on, um, I think it might have been Opta, where he's he's made the most in tackles in the final third than any other player in the entire championship, which is surprising for a player like Pogba when you think that he's probably more lauded for his attacking abilities more than anything else. But there was, you've already mentioned, Philip, about uh, the bookings that have been picked up and the suspensions. And one man who's going to be suspended for that game is uh, Adil Rami. Uh, is that possibly a blessing in disguise for France that now someone like maybe Sam Titi will start? I didn't. I didn't find him to to be uh, to to have a zero zero kind of kind of game. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't great, but um, I thought well, not not much was asked of him in the second half. So obviously, people will uh, remember the opening goal, his his mistake on the opening goal, and uh, not being very um, uh, you know not exuding confidence. Um, but that, yeah, it could it, it could be, but uh, we talked about it last week. And uh, if one of one of Rami or Koscielny gets a booking, uh, there's there's going to be a hell of a hell of uh, one massive amount of pressure on uh, Umtiti's shoulders if he does start. And, I have to uh, be honest, I don't think Umtiti will start. I think it'll be Mongala. Well, actually, I I I am actually hoping hoping for hoping for Umtiti, but reckon he'll be Mongala because. Because Mangala did play at the World Cup in in Brazil, and he uh, well, he wasn't he wasn't exceptional, but he he was um, when when called upon, I think he was uh, he was okay. But I just I, I just feel that with his experience and um, and him playing in in the Premiership, maybe it uh, it maybe makes a bit more sense. But uh, you know, he really really will have to be uh, on his at his very best. Saying this, this does remind me a bit of '98, though, because uh, in '98 you had the Laurent Blanc sent off for um, a foul provoked by Slaven Bilic and Frank Leboeuf deputised uh, at centre back. Now Leboeuf played in the third game against Denmark, but um, Leboeuf did play a World Cup final against Brazil and did great. So you know, I I, I guess I would start on TT. I guess for his experience. You've mentioned there, Jonathan, that it's more likely that they'll start Mangala in that centre-back position. Do you think that's a wise decision from Deschamps, given his form this season? I mean, I don't think that it's uh, that it's ideal, but I, I don't really see what option Deschamps has. I mean, knowing what we know about Deschamps, you know, the fact that he brought Rami in uh, when he wasn't even initially listed as a reserve, you know, that tells us that he really wants, uh, you know, prioritises uh, experience uh, in these tournaments, and I think for that reason alone the fact that you know Mongala has even made a handful of senior appearances for France means that he's going to start over Mtiti because remember Mtiti hasn't even uh, you know played a minute of, uh, of of senior football for France yet which you know takes us back to I think the conversation we were having last week about why Deschamps didn't utilize him in either of the friendlies because now he's in a very difficult situation where he has to pick between a player who hasn't been in convincing form although I have to say you know Mongala did finish the season um, decently with uh, with Manchester City. He was good in both games against uh, against PSG. I expected him to be uh, a weakness in that in that Champions League clash, but he he was um, actually pretty impressive over the two games. So for me, I think that Deschamps will pick uh, Mongala uh, solely based on the fact that he has experience. Well, you can't you can't also throw out the fact that. Uh, there, there are right-sidedness and left-sidedness. The Umtiti has always been played on the left of a central defensive partnership, and that does seem to be a really important thing for Deschamps as well. Yeah, and, and it, it's it's still that consideration of whether Mangala will be the better choice or Umtiti. But let's let's quickly mention the Irish as well, who who for at least 45 minutes, while they still had their legs, 
Philip really, really gave it a good go. And they did, and, yeah. they did, and I think it's a good. Um, I think it will be a good. It's a good illustration of what the Iceland game will be, um, given that uh, Iceland will have a bit more uh, resting resting time. There's, the resting time was really unfair on on, on Ireland, um, who had a great game against uh, against Italy. Um, we talked about it last week as well. I honestly <coughs> thought it would be Northern Ireland and not uh, not Ireland. Um, but uh, yeah, great, uh, great defending, very resili resilient. And uh, yes, we didn't have our, our players all in in their preferred positions, but uh, very hard to uh, very hard to break down. And this is why I really think we we should really be extremely careful when we when we defend. I don't. I think I think there was a bit of um, uh, maybe underestimation uh, on our part, uh, thinking it's going to be hard to score against them. But it's not going to be. Um, but let's not forget not to concede a goal. And we kind of forgot that. And um, I, you know, I was there at half time. All the Irish were singing, "We're going to beat the French," and it really sounded like it was going. It was going to happen. I mean, it. it they they looked. They looked to know what they were doing, and that it didn't really scare them to uh, put ten men behind the ball for ninety minutes, which is probably what Iceland are going to do with those two banks of four. So it's a good, um, let's just say it's a good workout, but hopefully, hopefully a goal will come on Sunday. Yeah, and the the worry for the France will be that they were tested a couple of times by the Irish, Jonathan. I mean, if it wasn't for Loris on a couple of occasions, it could have it could have been worse. Before, yeah, it could have been worse even in the first half. They're safe from from Daryl Murphy as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that it's. Uh, it's it's something that France are going to have to bear in mind uh, going into the game against uh, against Iceland. You know they can't be uh, as complacent as they were uh, at times against the Irish. Uh, they're going to have to try to be as tight as they can at the back. Um, you know this this defence was was never going to be watertight. Uh, but uh, you know I I do think that Iceland will be confident that they're able to. Uh, you know, put France under a lot of pressure. You know, particularly uh, physically. You know, you look at the way that Iceland scored their two goals against England. Uh, you know, one. Uh, you know, the build-up where the the ball was headed on and then uh, and then kicked in. Uh, you know, and then the other by Sig Torsen. Who, you know, I have to admit, I was absolutely stunned to see him get a goal. Yeah, Joe Hart was but was badly at fault uh, for it. But when you consider the season that he's had with uh, with, with Nom, that was uh, that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, but I, you know, so I think that the France will be prepared for a physical battle uh, against Iceland uh, more so than they were uh, against Ireland because I think it took them by surprise. Yeah, and, and I think we were all a little bit surprised that it would be Sig Torsten who scored that goal last night. But just finally on France, Eric, it's even though Iceland obviously did very well at the weekend, it's a favourable draw for them. And could are they starting to maybe hit their stride after that second half? Yeah, absolutely. I think that France France definitely put it together in the second half of that match, and I think that you know Iceland show that they are are willing to be a combative force. But I mean, let's face it, they haven't really come up against a team of the quality of France yet, particularly uh, France's attacking options. And if they're now that they're really going to be tested by by a team that are, if not in form, perhaps starting to come into form. And I think that I think this is a favorable draw for for France. Uh, with absolute certainty, um, their the, their opposition and the way that they've they've shaped up in both in the group and against England, I mean none of those teams look to be making any great strides in this tournament. You know, again Portugal are in the quarterfinals, but after a very very dour match against Croatia, and, you know Iceland have Iceland have proven to be be you know resilient, but you know against what sort of attacking quality? And now that we've seen you know the way that France have at least three players in the form of Faye, Griezmann, and Pogba that can that can change a game uh, in in an instant. And I don't think that you know Iceland have faced a team with that many attacking options uh, of such a high quality yet. And I think that that France look very well set up to to get at this team. I will say though that on this point that you know there might be an argument made. You know, again, the left-sided, right-sided experience arguments uh, aside that. The way that Mtiti can bring the ball out from defense uh, is not something that a lot of the other center back, the other center backs have for France, and I think that could potentially allow them a little bit more of an advantage. Um, if you have both Pogba and Mtiti being able to play long balls, uh, that might serve a little bit to to aid France in the counter. 
As we've seen yesterday against England, Iceland liked to slow the game down with the long throws and to, to really, you know, make the other team uh, wait it out. And, and <clears throat> if, if France can play on the counter a little bit more, um, as we haven't seen that much from them going forward from the fullbacks at least, uh, I think that could uh, further aid, aid France's potential advantage um, were they to use Mtiti uh, in place of uh, Rami over, instead of Mangala. Yes, and there's certainly an interesting challenge ahead for France. No one expected Iceland to do what they did last night, and they could possibly do it again. It has been a tournament of upsets so far, and we've about to mention there's been a few surprises on Monday, especially as both England and Spain went out of the tournament, and we will start with the former there, who were humiliated by a, a frankly terrific Iceland team in that game. Um, Jonathan, is this the biggest upset in recent tournament history? Uh, I'm struggling to think of uh, you know a bigger upset. Uh, you know, I, th- I think it's uh, it's an absolute embarrassment for for English football. That said, though, uh, as embarrassing as it is for the English, uh, you know, it was a huge, huge performance from Iceland. You can't take it away. It was you know from them. It was no fluke. Uh, they've been extremely well drilled, well organised under Lars Lagerbeck. Uh, you know, and it's uh, t- to be to be perfectly honest, going into the match. Uh, you know, although being English, uh, you know, I was watching out of interest to see how England would do and, you know, sort of half hoping that they would put in a good performance, get themselves into the quarters and set up a mouth-watering match with, with France. Uh, you know, it did cross my mind more than a couple of times, uh, you know, that they could quite easily mess it up. I thought that the early goal uh, would, would be enough to settle their nerves. And it, you know, it almost had the, the opposite effect, really. Uh, you know, it kind of it kind of galvanised uh, Iceland. It made them think, right? Well, if we weren't underdogs enough already, you know, now look at us. We we absolutely have to, you know, just give this everything. Uh, otherwise, we're going to be going home. You know, they did that, and and England just couldn't recover. They 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 couldn't respond. Uh, you know, and I think that the the fantastic attitude um, shown by Iceland when they were losing, uh, you know, and also once they got themselves in front, uh, you know, it was just something that England couldn't couldn't replicate. And for me, that was the big difference uh, at the end of the day. No doubt that England have more talent, uh, you know, across the board in their squad than, uh, than, than Iceland, but they don't have that same cohesion, that same team spirit. And it was... Uh, it, you, you, you could see that the, the upset was in the making once they got that equaliser, really, I think. Flip, let's let's focus on Iceland first and how terrific they were really in in that in that game. They really gave everything, and like not many people have mentioned, really it seems that they came from behind. Yeah, I actually missed the uh, first six minutes, so I came in when it was one-one. I was a bit yeah. um, <laughs> disappointed with that because I did, I actually expected <laughs> the game to be the first goal to come extremely late in the game, and I thought, oh, one-one, so that's. That's uh, this is going this is going well this is uh, this is not too bad, but once I once I saw how um, how much England was struggling to, with the ball uh, against a very simple 4-4-2. I mean that's the same 4-4-2 Poland played against Switzerland. It's a, it really isn't that uh, that complicated uh, to put uh, to put in place, but you need the right players, and I think that's always been England's uh, England's problem is that. Uh, Hodgson does seem to pick the best players, but not the best the best team. And uh, if if you look at the second goal, okay, I think Hart is uh, is at fault on the first goal a bit. Cahill is definitely at fault on the first goal. If you look at the second goal, Iceland are playing between the lines. They're playing between midfield and defence, and finding uh, I think it's Sigurdsson um, who has not acres of space, but he's got space to to um, to look around and have have a pass or maybe try something uh, try something from distance. England could not do that with these these two banks of four, so they need to be extremely quick. They needed to to have a look up and try to see who was available. The only point is that Iceland was so well organised that England had no no one available, and they looked they, you know they, they were they were clueless. Hodgson was was clueless. He they did not know what to do against a very simple 4-4-2, which is, you know, pretty bad for uh, a team of England's um, level, or 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 shall I say, of of uh, players of uh, who are playing for for England who should who should know how to 
who uh, should have the tactic, uh, technical sorry, ability to to do something about it. There's no plan B. I mean, uh, Deschamps did the change and take a, quite a, a big risk of uh, of changing the whole setup. Um, but uh, Hodgson didn't do anything at halftime. He uh, he didn't change the didn't change the formation. We not I don't think we know even know what the formation was. Um, and the, it was just uh, it was just clueless. There was no real. Uh, it's like it's like he didn't try. And and the worst the worst came with five minutes to go where he put where he put on Rashford and Rashford was actually quite good at uh, creating uh, creating something. It's. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm. I think, for, from a French point of view, uh, France will do better than England. I think, um, but it's going to be extremely tough to, just to uh, to uh, you know, crack this nut, if you will. But I'm positive. I'm positive that uh, we'll do something uh, you know worth seeing. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that France will advance past Iceland. I mean, I'm not completely writing uh, the ice, the Icelanders off. I wouldn't do I, that. I do, I do. I do think though that France will have uh, too much for them. You know, like you said, that this you know Deschamps seems to be able to make the changes necessary. Uh, you know, in order to at least provoke a reaction from his players, something that Hodgson uh, was was unable to do. I mean, I I could, I could see Iceland, you know, perhaps taking a surprise lead uh, against France on Sunday, but I think ultimately. Uh, the you know the French will have too much uh, for Iceland. Hopefully. Just <laughs> yeah, hopefully, because many of us in England, I suppose, predicted a little bit too early that that it would be easy. And, and Eric, Philip's already mentioned it, but I'm, I don't think I've seen a team. I'm not sure about you. I've not seen a team in such a long time not have a plan B for an entire second half. Yeah, I mean, obviously we can see what Hodgson was trying to do with, with bringing off Dyer and bringing on Wilshire to, to try and use the pace of uh, Sterling and Sturridge with Wilshire playing long balls over the top but uh, to get a better range of passing. But the fact of the matter was that, you know, that is what Rooney was on the pitch to do too. I mean, we've talked about how he has a good range of passing and how he demonstrated that in the group stage, uh, but it just wasn't coming off. Uh, and the ability of Rose and Walker to get involved going forward was, wasn't coming off either. Um, so, I mean, why not bring on the likes of Alana, for example, someone who's got a little bit more creativity with the ball at his feet? I know he hasn't exactly sparkled in this tournament, but um, if Iceland are willing to to to, to sit back and, and defend <clears throat> and, and not be able to be cut on the break due to the quality of England's long balls, why not bring someone who can get at these players with the ball at their feet? I mean, let's remember, you know... Uh, one thing that was mentioned in the commentary during the match was that a lot of these Iceland Iceland players uh, were on a booking, uh, and were they to have been booked again, uh, they would miss the subsequent quarterfinals. So there was always going to be a level of caution in terms of uh, the player's physicality. Uh, and with regards to that, I think that you know, had England tried to play the ball on the ground a little bit more uh, and and get at get at get at Iceland in a more direct manner, I think that the the match could have could have could have come out a little bit differently. Uh, but I think that the way that England approached things in terms of trying to use Wilshire from a deep position uh, rather than a more advanced role, I don't think that there was there was much to be said about that. I think that you know there might have been some some thought some 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 thought sorry in regards to that in terms of starting Sterling as as he is a very pacey and direct player, but um, with him struggling the way that he he was, you know why. Why Rashford wasn't introduced sooner? Why Lalana wasn't introduced at all? I think that, that there are a lot of questions to be asked of of Hodgson, and it's easy to understand, you know, why he resigned and why why England looks so lost. I think that you know there there was just it was route one football, and it wasn't coming off. And um, it, there's there's not really much to say about it. It's it's just a really disappointing effort from you know a, a supposedly um, up and coming England to to go out in this manner. Do we think that uh, the FA would have sacked Hudson had he not resigned? Uh, unequivocally, I think. Yeah. yeah. He, he I'm not that sure. Pushed, yeah. Because yeah. I think. So, so is it is it some case of uh, some some FA guy was giving giving him the order? Okay, just resign because this is your your terrible. And he said yes. Greg Dyke said before the tournament, quarterfinals are a must. Mm. Yeah. So he would have been he would have been sacked if he didn't. He would have been sacked. Pat might might not have happened immediately, but I definitely think yeah. he would have been pushed out. However, what what I think is most bizarre in all of this 
is that there was a speech for, uh, you know, a, a resignation speech ready, uh, you know, yeah. immediately for after the game. It's just the, the strange... It, it, seems, it seems a very well rehearsed. I mean, unless it was written at the very beginning of the tournament and, you know, certain words, wow. team names just had to be, you know, put into it. It was a very strange situation, but what? what it's okay, go on, Philip. Um, so, what, I mean, the, the, the reason why I don't think that he was able to sat him straight away is, uh, you know, who do they put? Uh, who's they put in now? Because um, I, I've mentioned it before, but the lack of uh, of decent international managers, uh, which uh, which is really not a a hard uh, a hard job, uh, a hard day to day job. I mean, there's a lot of pressure once every two years, but uh, who do they who do they who do they put in? First of all, do they go English or do they go back to going uh, uh, international like uh, Ericsson Capello? And I have absolutely no idea. I've heard Eddie Howe, and I think Eddie Howe would be quite good in in this uh, never say die attitude, which England really need to get back because England used to be uh, used to lose on penalties all the time, but you know they they used to go, actually be able to go, get to penalties. Right now, they not in the last two tournaments. They got out as they uh, got knocked out in the group stages and in the first knockout stage. So not even the penalties, which is extremely worrying. So I I really don't see uh, someone like Gareth Southgate inst installing that kind of uh, passion back, and even less tactical now. And and it was a disappointing tournament for a lot of the English players, uh, Jonathan. But one man that probably stands out, unfortunately for himself, is Joe Hart, who's made two crucial mistakes that's led to two goals in the end of the day, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think he's going to have to uh, take a step back, have a look at his uh, his position, both at club level and uh, and at international level, because you know you've got to remember Pep Guardiola is taking over at Manchester City. He's going to have been watching these performances and thinking, you know, perhaps he may he needs to bring in somebody else between the sticks. You know, maybe he's not full of confidence for Hart. Um, I have to say, it's it's a shame that Hart's made so many um, so many mistakes in such a short space of games because I actually think that he is genuinely, uh, when he's in form, one of one of England's actual pr probably their only real world class player because he's a very very good goalkeeper. Um, but you know, once he's been uh, unhinged a little mentally, as as perhaps he was after they conceded the equaliser, uh, you know, he does make uh, he does make some mistakes, and unfortunately for him, he was at fault for Wales's goal in the group stage, and he mm. was certainly at fault for Sig Torsten's goal. Um, you know, I don't I don't think that he deserves to be sort of you know. Um, banished from the national team uh, because of these two errors. You know, at the end of the day, I don't think that you can just blame England's exit on two goals that Hart conceded, particularly in one game, which they ended up winning against Wales. You know, it's, uh, at the end of the day, I, I think had Sig Torsen not scored that goal, I still think that Iceland would have found a way to score uh, and win the game in 90 minutes. Uh, I just think that for for Hart, uh, you know, he is going to bear a brunt of the criticism on on behalf of the players, but there are so many players in that England squad that also deserve criticism. Sure. But his place isn't in danger, is it? I mean I don't think it should be, but you never no. know with these well, sorts of things. The thing is who who could who would take the his place between the sticks? Would be I mean, Forster, yeah. Forster and Butland are both Forster, yeah. I also think that in the past we've we've seen when was it two seasons ago or three seasons ago when Hart was dropped for a period at City. Um, he did respond, and, and I think his performances, once he was back in the squad, were, were much improved. I mean, this is a player who obviously is, is as Jonathan Rightly says, a world-class talent when he's on his game. I think back to that group stage match in the Champions League against Real Madrid, the 3-2, they lost. But, I mean, Hart made a dozen amazing saves in that match. But he is someone who definitely thrives on confidence, and that is something that you know, both Guardiola and the next England manager need to, need to consider in managing him. Um, I mean, he's still, I think, 28, 29, so he'll, he'll be around for at least uh, six or seven years, uh, you know, all things all things willing in, in both situations. So um, the emotional and intellectual management of him as a player, I think, is going to be a, a really key thing going forward for both club and country, as he certainly is a confidence player. Yeah, it's almost indicative of every English keeper to make a mistake or two in a major tournament. That seems to be um, the part and parcel of being in England player but just to sort of have my own miniature rant on this it was it was borderline insanity watching England play at times especially in that second half and I, I still can't believe that a manager decided to play 
four strikers and even moved a centre-back up front for the final five minutes as if we were playing in the 70s and that would eventually get us to break down the door. Yeah. It was it was an abject performance full of sideways passing, full of no one willing to take on the, the player up wide or put a ball across. And It's just severely disappointing to know that we have a relatively, at least a talented enough squad to beat Iceland. No disrespect to them. They were absolutely excellent mm. at times. and they, Like Jonathan said, they absolutely deserve to win. And if they hadn't scored that goal from Sig Torsen, which is a miracle for him, he must be wondering how he's managed to score with his form at Nolte. But uh, they would have scored another goal if they hadn't have already scored. They should have put us out of our misery, really, in that second half with the counter-attacks that they, they fed. But it was just... To say the main point is, I think it's indicative of this squad at the moment that an 18-year-old who's played about 15 pro- professional games in this season was absolutely head and shoulders the only person who looked like he was going to do something in the last five minutes of that game. He was the only player who did anything really of no at, since that penalty that looked like he was actually going to carve a chance that would actually open back the door. But credit to Iceland. They've been terrific. Their fans are terrific. Their team absolutely played their hearts out and I'm really looking forward to this game against France because these are not going to get sit down lightly and if they if they manage to sneak a goal it could be quite tricky for France again but we'll 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 move on to Spain who've fi- finally been dethroned from the European Championships after two consecutive wins Philip Italy were absolutely sensational again tactically they really completely nullified Spain for the majority of that game yeah, they were. So uh, I'll just um, uh, say this. I'm not uh, an expert on on Spain, and what I um, do believe is uh, that I think this uh, the squad that was um, united by Vicente del Bosque was not uh, as good as uh, as it used to be because players got older. I don't think there's a new generation of players that will be as good as uh, Fernando Torres in his prime, as Savi in his prime, and um, I do believe that now Spain only have one real world-class player who's head and shoulders above everybody else. All the all, all the all, all the rest of them are extremely good good players, and that would be Iniesta. And I think that when you had Savi and Iniesta, it was far too much to deal with. But now that Savi's retired, Iniesta is uh, you you can almost um, deal with him. Now there has been some disappointments. But I don't think Spain can 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 feel too, uh, shall we say, uh, too 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 disappointed about that because I do I do believe they were beaten by uh, by a team that first of all wanted it more and and I I reckon that they controlled the game more and probably deserve deserve it um, yeah a bit more I mean again with with all this uh, squad squad cohesion. I've no idea. I mean, I, I don't think I don't know if any of you guys agree with me, but uh, I, I I do believe that uh, it's uh, it's becoming easier uh, to beat Spain down uh, since obviously winning three tournaments um, in in a row. But you know, I don't. I I only watch them in in internet in uh, in those tournaments. Yeah, I agree. You know, they're not the power they once were, but I do think something that didn't help um, Del Bosque was the fact that, you know, he left so many good players at home. Uh, you know, you look at the likes of uh, Saul, Koke, you know, both left out. As well, you know, leaving somebody like Fernando Torres, I mean, okay, maybe he doesn't start at the tournament, but you need somebody with his sort of experience to, to come in. I mean, I think Adarith definitely deserves to, to, to go to the tournament based on his form for Athletic Club, but I don't think that that meant that Del Bosque couldn't take uh, Torres with, uh, with, with the squad, and I think, you know, some mistakes were made in selection before the tournament even started for the Spanish. But I, I find it amazing... Watching this, uh, watching this Italy side, I think what Conte has done is absolutely phenomenal. With so many players missing as well, it's it, you know it's it's been absolutely sensational to watch. And you know you do wonder now whether they can perhaps topple Germany as well. Uh, you know just considering the way that they're so well organised, they're so difficult uh, to break down at the back. And uh, you know it's it's curious actually because I wasn't too keen on the idea of, uh, of Antonio Conte being PSG coach uh, when the rumours were, were mentioned a couple of, uh, well, sort of a year ago, maybe uh, 18 now months Now you'd rather ago. have him than Unai. 
No, not necessarily. I'm curious to see how Emery does. I mean, I don't think that Emery is an elite coach yet, but I think he has the potential to be. But the way that um, Conte has has united this Italian uh, side, this squad, I I think it would have been really interesting to see what he could have done with uh, with PSG because I think PSG really need somebody with that intensity uh, when they get to the latter stages of the Champions League if they're to push on a bit further. Yeah, and he, uh, to, just to mention on Conte, Eric, he's been really brought this what is a distinctively average for for Italy standards at least um, squad. He's really drilled them into a, an absolute unbelievable sort of unit. I mean, for uh, for a good 70, 80 minutes of that game, they Spain were nothing. I, I like many would have expected. I thought it would be the Italians sitting back and soaking pressure up, and then. Then attacking, but they really went for it for the for even in the first half, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. I think that you know they realized that the frailties of of uh, the center backs of Spain. I think that you know on their day, PK and Ramos are are fine players, but I think that they both didn't play very well, and that they were perhaps showing the effects of a long season. And the way they were caught out, particularly in the first goal, was you know frankly embarrassing. I think that Conte recognized recognized that and realized that they could be got at and and set the team up to to play to that and I think that there's there's a lot to be said for for that that particular uh, level of style and the fact that you know that back three and and De Rossi or um, you know when they, when they may be getting on um, you know are still are still despite the relative anonymity of uh, most of uh, Italy's attacking players uh, those four and, and Buffon are still and despite their ages you know players of a very 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 high caliber and you know it's you know, last last shootout at the OK Corral or what have you. It's a lot of these veteran players that Conte is able to get the best out of and G up for one last tournament. And you know, with the right balance of of attack, um, I, I think he's he's really hit the note. And to be frankly, to be frank, considering the, the caliber of opposition that Italy have faced, uh, Bay for me have performed the best out of any team in the tournament to to date. I think that you know Germany and Belgium certainly look good in their in their ma- in their their matches in in the round of 16, but uh, I think the way Conte has his team playing, Italy look like favorites to me right now. What's it going to take to for Del Bosco to resign? I think he he's already admitted that he would leave after the tournament. He he was planning to leave before the uh, before the tournament would have started. So he's leaving. He was already planning on leaving regardless of the result. Oh, I see. So he's um so he's going to resign. I believe so, yeah. Okay. And do we have any names for who is it who might be? <laughs> Again, like a lot of nations it seems there's not a plan B for yeah. for many planes after, afterwards it seems it seems like they they stick with the manager they get rid of him and then go right. Well, who's next then? Let's have a look. There's, there's never really a succession plan in no. in the international no. football it seems, but uh, we, we, you look around this, PSG has timed the appointment of Emery quite well, I think, because had uh, had this situation stretched on for a couple more weeks, you'd think that Emery was probably the outstanding candidate to take over. Mm, which is which is why some I believe I wrote it, read earlier that some Spanish reports are linking Roberto Martinez to the job, which uh, sounds right, like yeah. death knell for them. Yes, <laughs> um, I just wanted to mention a final question for you, Jonathan. Um, it's one that bugged me during the game and. He's not necessarily been impressive for Manchester City as recently as David Silva. Was it the best decision to be playing him in a in a wider role when when Nelito's on another side and trying to use use uh, um, someone like uh, uh, Morata in the middle? Uh, I I think Nelito for a start had just a very poor game. Uh, I'm not convinced by him as a top quality. Um, international, and I think you know the the problem for Spain at the end of the day was it was just very very difficult for them to break down such a well organised defence. Uh, you know Conte has worked with what he had available to him, and that was still pretty much a first choice defence and, uh, and and goalkeeper, and he's he's built from there. So this this Italy side when they're full strength are you know pretty much uh, impregnable uh, you know they didn't concede against Belgium in the opening game they didn't concede in the second game against Sweden and they didn't concede here against Spain they yes they conceded against the Irish but that was after the you know pretty much the entire starting 11 was uh, was rested so i think that the the problem for silver uh, was the fact that it was uh, 
you know, just a very, very difficult uh, defensive unit to break down, and that's why the whole Spanish attack really, uh, really seemed to struggle. And you know, we started seeing Spain, you know, playing some direct balls in, trying to look for, uh, you know, Adarith to attack it, and that's something that you know we've not seen from Spain in a long, long time. Well, thank you again for Jonathan for joining us this evening, and uh, hopefully we shall see you next week. Right, thanks a lot for having me on, guys, and speak soon. Yeah, thank you. I do have one final question to you, Eric, on Spain before we move on. Um, I mentioned that Nolito maybe has not played so well and, and David Silva's not had necessarily the best tournament, not saying he's been awful or anything like that, but is it a surprise to you that someone like Koke, who's had a terrific season for Atletico Madrid, has barely seen any play? Yeah, I mean, and like we were alluding to earlier, it's it's the selection of this team is just mind-boggling. I, you know... Lucas Vasquez, what, what, I, I'm sorry, I'm speechless. Literally, I'm speechless. Uh, Isco, Saul, uh, even Inaki Williams as a wild card, you know, there's just a lot, I think there's a lot better uh, players on form based on their seasons in in La Liga who should have who should have been brought into this Spain squad. And it, it's just, it just boggles the mind um, why Del Bosque made the selections he did. You know, is he make, you can't make the argument for experience for for Vasquez in particular, for example. Um, you know, again, you know, Koke is the sort of player who at Atletico is tasked with doing something very different. But uh, let's not forget that, you know, much like Saul, uh, his his ability to get forward and be a creative force is is impressive as well, even if it's not in, not always in full evidence at, at Atletico. Um, I mean, there is some danger from Del Bosque's perspective that. Uh, you know, Koke may may have you know not made me in too much of a defensive mindset based on his the way he operates at club level. But it's like riding a bike. It's not it's not as if he forgets how to how how to attack, how to how how to go past a man, and or how to how to put in a put in a cross. It's yeah, it, it's you know I think Del Bosque and Hodgson uh, in particular have really disgraced themselves at this tournament, um, in, both in in the, in their player selection and. I think that I think that there's there's not much to be to be said, you know. I mean, think back to two matches ago and how bright Spain looked, how Iniesta was looking like one of the players of the tournament. And just to have that all all go wrong, okay, you know, the Croatia loss was a bit fluky, but I think that the signs were there and then the way that they conceded the goals in this match are just you know really worrying. I think whoever the next Spain manager is, you know, I think frankly needs to needs to needs to have a a real hard look at the way this team had been set up. Uh, you know, the the way that the, the best club teams in Spain are playing right now, uh, being Real and Atletico, I, I think, uh, in terms of getting results, I think maybe that should be looked at more of more of a model, more of playing on the counter attack and 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 being a little bit more resolute rather than the tiki taka style uh, that, we, that we've seen espoused under Del Bosque and and at Barcelona in the recent past. Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting metamorphosis, really, for Spain in the next year or two of of where they decide to go, especially with a couple of their talent base getting a little bit older and certainly a new manager probably coming in with different ideas. But let's move on to the other games of the round of 16 now. And we'll start with the impressive Germany, who, Philip, really put Slovakia to the sword in that game. Yeah, once again, uh, Yogi Löw... um has uh, decided uh, not to play for a striker at the start of the tournament and he's starting him uh, as that striker being uh, not Miroslav Klose because he retired but Mario Gomez and uh, Germany just look uh, much much better with uh, with a two with a two number nine uh, Draxler had a had a good game Ozil was uh, was quite good as well Götze was uh, understandably dropped and uh, we <laughs> we actually just saw there's a, there's a difference between uh, an England side who were unable to score against Slovakia and, and the Germany side who actually, I, I thought, uh, um, said, okay, 3-0 is enough. Just, okay, we proved our point, we proved they were, we proved we're better than them and we're after the quarterfinals against Italy. That's that's basically the message they, they sent out, I thought. Um, yeah. The, the, the team is really starting to uh, to go from, from strength to strength. Um, and I reckon, yeah, that game against Italy is one to watch. The, the one on Saturday evening is going to be absolutely massive tactically. Uh, two absolutely incredible goalkeepers, possibly the two best in the world. Um, and uh, 
uh, massive, massive revenge for 2012, where Italy beat Germany, which was actually kind of a kind of a surprise. I, I remember back then, I, I really didn't expect uh, Germany to lose that game. Balotelli was uh, was on fire. Um, so yeah, extremely, extremely impressive. Yeah, and it's food of thought to remember that Italy have never ever lost to Germany in a major tournament. So that might be on playing on their minds. But uh, another thing that Germany have changed in recent games, other than playing Mario Gomez up front as a main striker, Eric is is using Joshua Kimmich as a right back instead of the likes of someone like Benedict Coides. He's played reasonably well in that position to say he's a, predominantly a centre midfielder for Bayern Munich. Yeah, I, I think that he's a. As I mean, as your question sort of alludes to, is that he's a much more cultured player with the ball at his feet. Uh, he's got a better range of passing. Uh, I think he's got a little, a bit more pace to him than than, than does Hovedes. I think this is this is a great move, and this is, you know, another one of those players who, coming from uh, this this Bayern upbringing under Pep Guardiola, have this incredible tactical versatility, which allows, as the very best teams need, uh, to have. To, to have a, a switch of systems and a, sw a switch of positions uh, without a ch without a change of personnel, and I think that um, Kimmich being I think 20 or 21 uh, in this position looks to be you know, I mean he's not again he's not you know at the level of Philip Lahm yet, but I think that you know with he and, and Jonas Hector, I think that you know now Germany are looking like they have a, something a little bit more solid at fullback, whereas that had been despite their winning the World Cup uh, sort of looked at as their Achilles heel if they had one. Um, I mean, they are the world champions, but I think that the fullbacks have been pointed to is sort of being, well, maybe that's the point where you can get at Germany because if they don't have width, then you can force them force them into different areas of the pitch and sort of try to control them that way. But, yeah, I think that Germany, you know, probably for me, I think, I think that at this point in time, whoever wins that match... Uh, coming up is probably going to win the European Championships. I think that those two teams oh, have, have showed each other... I'll that. <laughs> Philip, I, I, again, you know, given... No, no, I mean, I, I know where you're coming from. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be touch and go, but, yeah, I, I actually agree. <laughs> yeah, given, given, you know, what our, what this program usually is and what, what we do on the website, obviously mm. I'd like France to win mm. uh, in terms of rooting interest, but I think that in terms of the quality that we've seen... Uh, from both Italy and Germany, I, I think that those two are the unquestioned best teams. And it's a shame that this match has to come uh, when it does at this point in yeah, the tournament. Absolutely. Yeah, and just uh, Draxler was absolutely excellent in this game as well. And the move to drop Goetze, who'd been practically anomalous in the other three games, was an absolute the right decision. And and they look like a, they're hitting a song again. And and another team that does is Belgium, who smashed four past Hungary. Who, who, who didn't give a, did have a little bit of a go, but um, it was really Hazard show, wasn't it? Really on on uh, Saturday. Hey, wait, hey, wait, why don't you take this one? I couldn't watch that. Go ahead, Eric. <laughs> you know, I I honestly couldn't watch that either. <laughs> well, I will take this one then. That's fine. Uh, it was Hazard really who took the show for Belgium. He was back in that sort of Chelsea form that we've seen in the past, where. Every time he touched the ball, he, he took he took about ten minutes to get into the game. He he had a couple of moments where he was a little bit nervy and a little bit unsure of himself, and then he spotted the gap behind the right back every single moment, and he was just driving into it like we we see him doing and cutting inside. And he was he was excellent all night. They they got that first goal through Toby Alderweireld, who and it was deserved. It was a good header, and then they struggled really to get a. A great opportunity again. I mean, Hungary caused them a couple of problems and had a couple of good, good chances. And then <laughs> our fa a, a, a favourite of us here at GFFN, uh, Michi Batshuayi, came onto the field for his first moment and with his first touch, a terrific ball from Hazard across the box and he sticks it in the back of the net. And from then, the result was done and it was just how many for Belgium. Then uh, Hazard scores an unbelievable individual goal that he absolutely deserved he was he was taking anything he wanted in that game really and then it was sealed with that Carrasco fourth um, unfortunately he couldn't find his girlfriend this time but uh, it was it was a really really impressive performance from a team that looked like individuals and had relied on individuals to do something and, and although obviously Hazard has been in terrible form for Chelsea this season other than maybe the last couple of games where he, he seemed to finally find something him really coming to the fore in that game and, and knowing that there's players like De Bruyne behind him and 
uh, Lukaku up front can score plenty of goals and they have a relatively decent defence. They, they're in a good side of the draw. I mean, the worry for them will be Wales are next and Wales have beaten them before and now I'm supporting Wales. They might do a little, They might get worse now, but uh, it, they look very, very impressive and being in that, like I say, being in that right side of the draw, they could quite easily make the final now if they really push on from this result. It's something... They were saying the same thing about Croatia and look what happened. Well, yeah. What did you make of uh, Hungary? Because it was 1-0 until, what, 10 minutes to go? Yeah, I, I thought Hungary gave it a go. That was the difference yeah. between a lot of minnows in this tournament other than possibly Wales in some games. Is Hungary gave it as good as they could. Uh, they went forward. They weren't scared of, of attacking. They maybe left a couple of gaps too often, and, and they had play, especially Hazard, they didn't cover him very well in the the defensive midfielder who's been pretty decent actually, that Adam Nodge, who's been linked with Marseille as well, he's didn't quite cover them as well in this game, but I thought they really at least gave it a go. And they got crushed in the end, unfortunately. But at least they went and attacked Belgium and, and thought, right, if we're gonna go out, we want to go out the way that teams really should go out, which is going for it. And credit to them, they've been actually reasonably entertaining in this tournament and haven't sat back in many games other than maybe that first half against Austria but credit to them they've been excellent this tournament and we'll move on now to Poland's win hopefully one of you've seen this one there we are so it was it went to penalties in the end but Poland yeah. really did, were quite anyone, good for a lot of it did anyone find this boring because I, I, I talked about it with uh, loads of people and they actually thought the game was was not very good, but I I actually had a good time. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Philip. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I saw I saw that Poland. I mean, I I predicted uh, nil nil and uh, Poland to win on penalties, which is pretty much what happened. But um, I thought uh, Lewandowski was rubbish. Yes, uh, Milik was uh, was quite alright. I thought Guziki from uh, our very own uh, Stade Rene was ex- really really good. Probably not extraordinary. Probably you know getting uh, myself. Uh, um, well, anyway, I saw, I saw he, he was he was great. He was fast. He was he was quick. He was uh, he was giving Lichtsteiner all all kind of trouble. Um, that uh, Poland did uh, did force for an opening goal that came from uh, Bielczykowski from the counter attack. I saw the second half was uh, was very good. That Poland defended extremely well. I saw possibly the most beautiful goal I've ever seen in the stadium. Uh, from uh, Shakiri, who's uh, I mean, what, uh, what, what? I mean, what a goal! I was standing next to some Polish guys. I just uh, said, "Wow!" What, I mean, uh, what, once, what, once you're in there, and you, you you see this this kind of thing live. You can only applaud it, even though I didn't really really want to because I wanted Poland to win. And uh, I saw Fabianski being extremely solid, extremely confident. Basically, Fabianski being everything that heart wasn't last night, which is quite you know, um, not very logical, quite illogical, because uh, I do I do reckon that Hart is a better uh, goalkeeper than Fabianski, but you just saw in his attitude that he, he had every single confidence going into into this uh, shootout. He didn't make any saves, but uh, I, honestly, uh, being there, I had absolutely no, uh, very little doubt that Poland would, would actually win, and all the Swiss uh, around me were like, uh, "No, why don't you? Why, why don't you just? Uh, why, why don't you score a goal?" Because you, you, you can feel that they didn't. That uh, Poland didn't really mind going on penalties, and that Switzerland did. And it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it showed because Fabianski was uh, had a lot of work to do. Summer, not, uh, not too much. And uh, I don't know. Poland just seemed extremely confident of winning that uh, penalty shootout, and they did. Right. Well, I think I think you know, and Philip, that's what we that's what we talked about as the game being more exciting. I think that for me, um, Switzerland certainly, you know, they had played as a little bit more of a defensive team uh, in the group stage. Where I think in this match, I think we yeah. saw a lot more going forward, particularly from Rodriguez. Seferovic uh, had a decent match as well, um, mm. and using Derdiak as a physical like sort of focal point, if you will. Uh, I think I think made a, when he came on that is I, I think made a, made this match a lot more entertaining particularly uh, into into extra time in the matches later stat, latter stages I should say um, so yeah I, th- I think that this was you know certainly you know probably the match that would have attracted the least attention from at least from English speaking audiences uh, yeah. of the round of 16 matches but I think that you know people who decided to to, to not take the opportunity to watch this one 
I missed out on a fairly entertaining match. And, you know, I think that Poland still have the potential to, to be dangerous, as we've seen, you know. And this, again, this is a result achieved, as you rightly said, with Lewandowski uh, sort of not really on song. So yeah, I, I don't really get that. I mean, uh, all the, the team is uh, is uh, extremely there's, there's a massive cohesion, and uh, he just seems completely out of out of sorts. Not even out of form, out of sorts. He just he doesn't seem to 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 be managing anything. Yeah, I think he's just been, don't, I just don't get it. I think he's been marshaled very well so far this tournament personally. But yeah, they look good, Poland, and they they're going to be interesting going forward. And we'll very and that. That goal by Shakiri will be remembered for a while. That was a terrific, terrific finish. I bet it was even better live. But uh, we'll quickly go on to the final two games as they were maybe a little bit more boring than that one, certainly. And uh, <laughs> Wales created a bit of history, though, by, by reaching the quarterfinals, although Northern Ireland gave it another good go, Philip. Couldn't watch either. Eric? Uh, I missed that one as well. I did see. <laughs> I did see that one. It is. It is eight games, Nathan. It's a. Uh, it's yeah. a. It was a big weekend. Yeah. I, I'll, and, I, and the Copa America for me too. I, it was. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> a lot going on. I, I will trumpet the, the 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 virtues of Wales as Northern Ireland were incredibly difficult to break down at times, and especially with the Wales side that thrive really on teams at least giving a little bit of something to them because they need that space to counter-attack, especially in this 3-5-2 that Chris Coleman's done. And it was an incredibly defensive performance from, from Northern Ireland for most of it, although they did have some half-decent chances in the first half especially. The second half, they seemed to tire especially, and it was literally the only moment they gave Gareth Bale a moment of space, and he puts the ball across. It's a fantastic ball, and, and Gareth McCauley is so unlucky at the same time. I mean, if he doesn't touch that, it's a definite goal from the man behind him anyway. And it's just, at least for me, there's some semblance of happiness for this week that Wales, they've been really good this tournament, and I said before the tournament that they could be pretty dangerous because they are a good, solid team that have good players running through their spine, and they've shown that they've got that character to really push on through, and and they won't fear Belgium in the next round. I know people will say, "Oh, Belgium have a, a terrific assortment of players and, and individuals," but Wales won't forget that they've beat them in the qualifying, and and Belgium certainly won't forget about that. And that's going to be a pretty interesting game, I think, heading into that one. And and finally, we we head on to that that real snore fest that was that came on Saturday evening. Uh, Philip, Portugal no. eventually. No. no. <laughs> Eric? Yeah, no, I, I did watch this. I, mistakenly so. I worked 13 hours. <laughs> got home. Actually, I wanted to watch it, but when I heard the comments, I said, well, it's a good thing I didn't. Yeah. Well, no, I got home. I, I set the match to download, got in the shower, made some dinner, matches ready to download. I started watching it, and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, so, well, having having to get up early to watch uh, France the next morning, it was, it was probably not the best decision. But yeah, I, I think that I think that it, it's it makes a nice story that you know Portugal can perhaps get a little bit of a measure of redemption for being being so poor in the group stages. And the goal by Quaresma was was impressive. Uh, but yeah, I think that both teams, you know, know that they have players. Uh, a, sorry, a couple players who are who can be really spectacular. As a point of attack, being Modric and Mandzukic on one side, and and Nani and Ronaldo on the other, um, but perhaps they weren't seeing as much of a threat from the rest of the team, and were playing in a, a very cautious style. And unfortunately, that that sort of bore itself out to extremes. Um, so again, you know, I, I like to see Portugal play with a little bit more verve. I mean, obviously, the result against uh, Hungary in the in the group stage showed that this team can score goals. Um, so perhaps we'll see a little bit more of that against Poland. I think that's that's a really tasty match. I think that I think that both teams will do well to really attack each other. And you know, I, I don't think anybody would really have predicted Portugal or Poland to be a, a semi-finalist uh, ahead of the tournament. But it looks like I mean that's the way things are going to shake out. So uh, that could be a really entertaining match on Thursday. Yes, right? yes. yes, Thursday. Yeah. Uh, and I, f I feel so sorry for Croatia in that game. Uh, they were both very, very tentative for about 110 minutes, and then Croatia go, well, let's go for it. We've got tw 10 minutes before, a, uh, a, essentially before a, uh, a penalty shootout. We might as well have a bit of a go. The moment that happens, they get counter-attacked and scored on. And literally, almost, it felt like as soon as Croatia woke up, Portugal went on a counter-attack and and and. 
crushed their dreams. But I think Portugal will have at least learned a couple of things in this game. I think they have they have to start Renato Sanchez in the next game. He was really a difference maker. I know they still didn't create enough, but he really had that extra verve to their midfield. He was combative. He was willing to get back and forth and and really start dictating Portugal's play. And it was really impressive from someone of his age especially. And I think they'll be tricky in the next round. The one thing I, I would say that I'm a little bit surprised at is given given Subasic's penalty-saving ability, both he's demonstrated for Croatia and for Monaco in the past, it seems a little strange that Croatia didn't want to take that to penalties. Mm. It, maybe they just wanted to get it over and done with. They were a bit tired. But it, it was strange that they wanted to sort of be a little bit cautious to avoid that Portugal counter-attack and then finally decided to go for it and then Portugal countered and scored. But... That that's how football would go, wouldn't it? So that's all from us this week. My thanks to Jonathan, Eric, and Philip. Thank you all for listening at home. And I think I will go back to banging my head against the wall. Abianto <laughs> and farewell.